Welcome to Building Insight, brought to you by the lawyers at Glayhold Voles LLP. Building Insight is Canada's first podcast dedicated to construction law and dispute resolution. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Glayhold Voles LLP's Building Insight podcast. My name is Megan Zanette, and I'm here today with my fellow summer student, Amir Greshi, to discuss the case Crosslinks and Ontario Infrastructure. The case citation can be found in the podcast description. Thanks for the introduction, Megan. The reason we're looking at this case today is because it's significant in terms that it's the first time an Ontario court has dealt with the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on construction projects and any delays resulting out of that. The main issue of this case is whether the contractors were allowed to basically get something that's called a variation inquiry, which would allow them to extend the substantial completion date of the project because of the delays they were experiencing as the result of COVID-19 health and safety measures. But more broadly, the case is concerned with the responsibility of the pandemic and who it falls on, whether it's the owners and the contractors, And having gone through the case, the short answer is that it's a shared responsibility. It doesn't fall solely on the owners or the contractors, and it should be a collaborative effort to ensure health and safety on the project site. So the agenda for today is going to be a brief summary of the facts of the case, and then discuss the arguments that the owners and the contractors had put forward and the judge's reasonings in dealing with those arguments. And lastly, we're going to discuss some key takeaways and implications that this case is going to have on construction. Thanks, Samir. So I'll start off with some of the case facts for our listeners. The project involved is the Eglinton Crosstown LRT. And for those who aren't too familiar, it is a large-scale transit project in Toronto. And the project is undergoing as a P3 partnership project. So the parties involved are the applicants, which in this case are Crosslinks. And Crosslinks is composed of four of Canada's largest construction companies that are responsible for building the transit. And we'll be referring to them throughout the podcast as either the constructors, the contractors. And then the other party are the respondents. In this case, that is Ontario Infrastructure and Metrolinks, and we'll be referring to them as the owners throughout the podcast. So, Amir, you already mentioned one of the important contractual provisions, which was that there was a substantial completion date involved in the contract. And the contract outlined serious financial penalties for the constructors if they did not meet this deadline. And there were two other contractual provisions that were also very important to our discussion today. The first one, and I'm trying to summarize it so it sounds a little less technical. The first one was, in the case of an emergency, if the owners tell the constructors that they're required to implement additional or overriding procedures, then the constructors basically have to do so. But in turn, the constructors can start what you mentioned already, the variation inquiry, to determine whether the procedures that they are being forced to implement should allow an extension of the substantial completion date. And if the substantial completion date is extended, this will allow the constructors to avoid the serious financial penalties. Yeah, that's exactly right, Megan. Those are the main contractual provisions that apply to this case. And I'm just gonna go over some of the background facts that actually gave rise to this dispute here. 
and it starts in March of 2020 when the Premier of Ontario uh, declared a state of emergency because of the COVID-19 pandemic. And as a result, the contractors wrote to the owners and asked for three things. First one being that they wanted the owners to declare an emergency on their contract. Secondly, they wanted the owners to direct the contractors to implement additional and overriding measures. And these measures would have been social distancing, staggered shifts, limiting the number of people that are on the job site and things like that. And lastly, they wanted to follow up with a variation inquiry to see if the measures that they were implementing should have resulted in a extension in the substantial completion date. The owners wrote back in response and they said they were waiting for the Ministry of Labor's construction protocols. And they also said when these were released, they would require the contractors to follow them. But when these protocols were released, they ended up overlapping greatly with the measures that the contractor was already implementing on the job site. So with that being said, the owners had to take a position then in terms of the constructor's requests, right, for them to declare this emergency and to require implementation of these procedures. So why don't you tell the listeners what the owners ultimately did? Yeah, definitely. The owners had to respond and the position they took in the response was that they were not going to declare an emergency because the province had already done so. And secondly, they said that they were not going to require additional or overriding measures because the contractor was already required by law, namely the occupational health and safety obligations to ensure health and safety on the job site and following the COVID-19 pandemic health and safety measures, the owners argued that it falls under that. And lastly, they refused to grant the contractors an, a variation inquiry. And that's exactly how we got this application that we were discussing today. That's exactly right. The contractors in response brought this application to the court. They asked for three declarations. The first one being that the COVID-19 pandemic was an emergency on their contract. Secondly, they wanted the declaration that the owner had required them to implement additional or overriding measures. And lastly, that the owners had an obligation to grant the contractors a variation inquiry. So thanks, Amir. The justice had two questions that were posed. And although the focus of our podcast really is going to be the COVID discussion, I think it's important to mention the first question that the justice had to answer. And that was in response to the owner's motion to stay. So the owners brought a motion to stay the application until after substantial completion. And they had two main arguments. Their first argument was that there was a provision in the contract that actually stated that all litigation should be postponed until after substantial completion. And the second argument was that the constructors had failed to follow the process that was outlined in the contract that would bring them to a variation inquiry. And the justice adjusted both of these arguments and ultimately dismissed both. So in terms of the contract, the justice admitted that the clause existed, that litigation should be postponed, but he mentioned that there was an exception in the clause that stated when postponing litigation would cause irreparable harm to the party, it shouldn't be postponed. And here the justice held it would cause irreparable harm to the applicants because postponing the process to potentially vary and 
extend the substantial completion date until after substantial completion would make no sense and it would rid them of their contractual right to the process. And then in terms of the second argument of the owners, which was that the constructors failed to follow the contractual procedure, the justice actually found the opposite. So the justice held the constructors followed the procedure. Thanks, Megan. Can you just briefly go over the process that the contractors had to follow just so our listeners have an idea? Absolutely, Mir. So the contract outlined certain steps that the parties had to follow to start a variation inquiry. And some of these steps were filing a notice of dispute to the other party, allowing party representatives to meet to try to resolve the dispute. And if that wasn't successful, then allowing senior officers to meet. And ultimately, if that wasn't successful, having an independent certifier come in and make the final decision. Now, the justice held the constructors followed these steps. They filed their notice of dispute. They provided documentation to the owners that showed the measures they had implemented and the potential delay and costs that were incurred. But the justice found the owners were the ones who tried to frustrate and stall the process. And he actually used the word mischief to describe their actions in stating that the owner's excessive document requests and refusal to follow the steps, mainly being refusing to have the senior officers meet, was just an excuse or a way for the owners to rid themselves of this process and ultimately not allow the constructors to get a variation inquiry. Yeah, that's exactly right, Megan. As you mentioned, you know, the justice basically rejects the arguments of the owner and dismisses the motion, which brings us to the main issue of the case, which is the contractor's declarations that they were seeking. And just to give you a short answer, the judge agrees with the contractors, gives them all the declarations that they asked for. Now we're just we're going to discuss why. So the owners in this case tried to heavily rely on the wording of the contract and get a very technical reading of the meaning of the words. And they were basically doing this so that they could avoid all responsibility or liability for the pandemic. The judge did not accept any of these arguments. First, the judge says that the occupational health and safety obligations that the contractors are bound by, they don't mean that the contractors accepted all liability for the pandemic. And the variation inquiry in this case would allow them to extend the substantial completion date because of threats to health and safety exactly like they were dealing with. And the contract itself, the provisions that you mentioned earlier about the additional and overriding measures, they have a very broad definition of emergency that should apply to this case. Thanks, Samir. Yeah, I also remember the judge discussing the purpose of a substantial completion date and having these financial penalties if not met. That's exactly right. And it was a very significant point in the judge's reasoning. The judge said that the purpose of having a substantial completion date for a project is to incentivize the contractor to keep the project moving forward. And if they don't, there will be penalties. But in this case, if we penalize a contractor that's doing their best to keep a project moving forward, given the circumstances, and trying to also keep workers safe, if we penalize them for that, it would actually have the opposite effect. It would incentivize them to cut corners and put health and safety at risk, which wouldn't make sense. And then another argument that the owners brought up was that the contract required the contractors to have an emergency response plan in place. And the owners were arguing that this meant that the responsibility for emergencies 
fell on contractors because they had a plan for it. However, the judge doesn't accept this either because the contract said that additional and overriding measures that are required in an emergency may overlap with the contractor's emergency response plan. And because the contract contemplated some overlap between these measures, it meant that one could apply even if they were already implemented in the response plan. Thanks, Samir. Yeah, and I think the final component of the owner's argument was that they did not require these additional and overriding procedures. So the first step was for the justice to to confirm whether there actually were additional measures that were implemented. And the justice actually said there was little doubt that the social distancing measures implemented by the owners constituted additional or overriding procedures. And the justice actually pointed to the owner's own words when they had sent a letter to the constructors. And I'm, I'm going to quote this because it's pretty significant. The owners had said, at this point, HMQE do not require that Project Co implement additional and overriding measures in addition to those presently being undertaken by Project Co in its capacity as a constructor and employer under the Occupational Health and Safety Act. So the justice pointed out that the owners essentially admitted that the constructors had already implemented additional procedures that were so effective that the owners did not have to require anything else. And the owner tried to argue, in fact, that they did not require compliance with anything else. But the justice also dismissed this argument. And he held, firstly, that the owners did require the constructors to implement these procedures. And the reason for it was because, as you previously mentioned, they told the constructors that they wanted them to implement the Ministry of Labor construction protocols when they were released. And the owners had tried to get out of this by arguing that the construction protocols were released were law that the constructors had to follow under the contract. But the justice quickly dismissed this argument and he pointed to the wording of the document, which didn't really say construction protocols at all. It titled on-site best practices. And it also started saying this is not a legal document. And the justice held because of these wordings, it was not a document that had legal force, nor was it a document that forced employers to do anything. It simply said employers should consider implementing certain measures. And so ultimately he held it wasn't a legal document that was law the constructors had to follow. But if it was, the justice stated, then the owners are in breach of the document too, because the document stated that the pandemic would have effect on production and that owners and trades are going to have to collaborate and work together to see how this impact will play out. And ultimately, the justice pointed out that the owners did not do this. They did not collaborate with the constructors. And in fact, if they really wanted to collaborate, they would start a variation inquiry. That's exactly right, Megan. In fact, the justice seems very critical of the owner's position entirely in this case. One of the other things that he says in the decision is that the owners cannot just say that the contractors were already doing enough, so we're not going to ask them to do more without giving them the variation inquiry they wanted, because this would allow the owners to, as the judge put it, take a free ride on the contractor's sense of responsibility and by not giving them an extended substantial completion date, it would punish 
the contractors for their sense of responsibility. And as I mentioned earlier, it would incentivize them to ignore worker safety and, and cut corners because, as you said, they weren't required to follow any of these measures by law, but they did anyway. And the contractors could have simply sat on their hands and did nothing and just waited for the owners to direct them to take the measures. But instead, they were proactive. They wanted to keep their workers safe. And the justice actually pointed out something that Metrolinx had said, uh, and I'm quoting from Metrolinx there. It says, HMQE's priority is the safety of the site and those working on the site. But then the judge says, if we accept their interpretation of the contract, this would mean, and I'm again, I'm quoting the judge here, it says, this contractual interpretation would reduce that ostensible concern about worker safety to nothing but window dressing. So as you can see, the judge is really critical of the owner's position trying to say, oh, we really care about worker safety, but on the other hand, trying to punish the contractor for actually caring about worker safety. So with that out of the way, as you said, the judge dismisses all of the arguments that the owners put forward and as a result grants all the declarations that the contractors had asked for. Just to reiterate first that the COVID-19 pandemic is an emergency. The second one being that the owners did require additional and overriding measures on the job site in the form of COVID-19 related health and safety measures. And lastly, that the contractors were entitled to a variation inquiry. And then we should discuss some of the key takeaways and implications that this decision will have on construction projects. Thanks, Samira. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. So because the justice had two questions to answer, I think we can split up the discussion that way. So in terms of some of the takeaways from the owner's motion to stay the application, one of the takeaways is that a constructor should give as early notice as possible about a COVID-19 related claim to the owners as opposed to waiting until the end, for example, once substantial completion has been completed. And I think the reason for this is so that the parties can collaborate and work together to use the contractual provisions and procedures that they've agreed to in advance to help them move forward with the project. Uh, so Megan, as you mentioned, the owners and the contractors have to work together. And as we know earlier, the judge gave the contractors all the declarations had asked for in, and the last one being that they were entitled to a variation inquiry that was under the contract. But does getting that variation inquiry constitute an automatic win for the contractors? Yeah, that's, that's a great question and something the justice himself actually highlighted. So, you know, relating it back to the specific facts of the case, the variation inquiry didn't guarantee an extension of the substantial completion date. It just allowed for an inquiry into whether these procedures should extend the substantial completion date. So contractors aren't going to get an automatic win. They still have to attribute, they still have to prove that the delays they are experiencing were related to the pandemic health and safety procedures that they implemented, for example. And this requires them to maintain good, clear records and also to produce these records to the other party, in this case, for example, the owners, so that they can also understand if the procedures led to the delay they are claiming. And in terms of what the owners have to do, the owners have to act in good faith in following the contractual procedures that the parties have agreed to. So we just discussed how the justice said the owners themselves were trying to frustrate the process that the parties had agreed to. And so one thing that the justice had mentioned was the owners cannot rely on excessive demands 
for information, for example, to frustrate or stall the contract from moving forward, or in this case, from referring to alternative dispute resolution techniques. Thanks, Megan, for the takeaways on the motion to stay. Again, and I guess that brings us to the implications that we can draw from the declarations of the judge. First of all, as again, the judge said, the COVID-19 pandemic is an emergency under contract or perhaps other contracts. And secondly, and probably one of the more important ones, that health and safety measures in response to the pandemic do not fall under the Occupational Health and Safety Act and owners should not be trying to put all the responsibility on contractors for health and safety that is needed in these unprecedented times. And lastly, the court is very hesitant to try to punish a contractor for being proactive in terms of responding to this major health and safety risk by implementing measures on their job site. So as you mentioned, Amir, the owners are going to have to collaborate with the constructors. And what do you think this exactly means for the owners? What are they going to be able to do or not be able to do going forward in projects like this? That's a great question, Megan. And as you mentioned earlier, the owners have a responsibility to be fair, reasonable, act in good faith and living up to their contractual obligations. And it's not reasonable for them to overly scrutinize a contract, try to rely on the strict wording or technical issues to get out of the responsibility. And it's not reasonable for them to try to shift all the responsibility of the pandemic to the contractors. And lastly, owners and contractors should try to work together and use their contractual procedures to move forward. I totally agree. And I think these implications and and takeaways will have a big impact on the practices that we see in the construction industry and, and the legal industry. It's important to mention that on June 1st, so about two weeks after the decision was released, Metrolinks and Infrastructure Ontario actually appealed the decision which might not be a surprise to some, but they released a statement that they appealed the decision and they mentioned that the case involves legal issues they believe are important. And if they're not appealed, they could have broad repercussions. So the parties are also acknowledging the impact it could have on the industry. And to quote Metrolink said, our goal has always been and remains building great partnerships that deliver great public projects which goes to that collaboration that you mentioned in P3 projects. I just found it interesting that there is no mention of health and safety in their appeal statement. This is honestly a very interesting turn of events. It'll be interesting to see how the appeal plays out and how the decision is going to be after the appeal. And that sort of brings us to the conclusion of this podcast, having gone through the whole thing. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. And visit glayholt.com for more information. If you have any questions, email us at info at We look forward to having you join us again.